Let's go! The football frenzy. Hey, you hit me so hard down there. Presented by Dustin DeHart of Nova Home Loans. Call him now at 702-577-2600. The Football Frenzy on Cofield and Company. 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 All right, here we go. Silver Sevens, 3 o'clock hour is here. William Hill Racing Sportsbook. Thursday night football, the Panthers 8-8 against the Tyrod-less Texans. I could have said that better. But I was careful. I was careful. Uh, Over-under prop available at William Hill. Davis Mills in for Ty God. Over-under two and a oh, – check that. Two ten and a half passing yards. I almost said two and a half passing yards. I'll go over on that one. But two ten and a half passing yards, Davis Mills. That's actually uh, been bet down just a little bit. Uh, and I saw that last night in a bunch of places, 213, 214. So the market is moving against you. Cofield, the contrarian, strikes again. Boy, Minnesota is my play of the week. I like Zimmer off a of losses, ATS. They actually did cover last week. Getting a point and a half, two in this one. There's still some twos up there. No, just uh, one and a half. Seattle's in town, but now Dalvin Cook ankle and it appears according to field yates uh both days of practice missed by dalvin cook josh jacobs deontay johnson and t higgins so dalvin cook am i crazy for going with the vikings well cofield you and i are already heads up this week uh, in fantasy football we're going against each other so we might as well be heads up on the betting market as well because my largest wager of the week is on seattle minus one i think these teams are are not at all comparable and we're giving way way uh way way too much credit to seattle collapsing against tennessee in a game they had completely under control last week so uh yeah you're crazy all right let's go heads up on this one we got the latest story for some reason uh doc guerrero dr alex is dr alejandro dr alejandro oh my bad uh, that's the uh, the doctor, miracle worker. Frankly, I don't know what Tom Brady's doing to to play this well at this age. I don't know. Uh, but now, the good doc, who I love, really admire him. Uh, he is getting after Belichick. He is. Um, before I get into what uh, Doctor Alejandro Guerrero, as he was known in his infomercial days. Uh, before I get into what Doc did, um, Cofield, were you, were you ever someone who who took part in the Supreme Greens? Did you ever did you ever get involved in the uh, in Doc supplements? Do you ever take it? Do you ever keep yourself uh, you ever keep yourself healthy by taking Doc supplements? Is that another name for HGH? No, th- no, that that oh. how dare you? How dare you? Doc Guerrero, Tom Brady's trainer sold supreme greens he claimed it could cure cancer it could oh, cure right? aids it could cure parkinson's um now mind you, of course I'm, I'm guessing COVID is cleared from the system as well now updates I, I mean look if it can cure all the other things why not COVID too uh yeah doc uh, doc guerrero tom brady's uh, esteemed trainer is out there saying that part of the reason that things fell apart between belichick and brady was because belichick refused to treat Brady differently, refused to treat him with the respect he deserved, he'd earned for the uh, 
for the age that he was at, for the accomplishments that he had had. So he kept treating him like he was in his 20s. And you know what? I'm not going on with any more of the crap that Guerrero said because are we seriously, are we so desperate to hype up this Tampa-New England game that we have coming in a few weeks here? Are we so desperate to hype it up that we are going to let Doc Guerrero have ink? And by the way, the ESPN story that was on ESPN.com did not mention a minute of what Guerrero has BS'd his way through for the last few years. So maybe we should at least mention that even Belichick decided he didn't want Guerrero around anymore as part of the reason why Guerrero might have some things to say about old Bill. I mean, would it have been worth it? Maybe. It's kind of looking like it. Candy, if Belichick could have had Brady around by kissing his tush a little bit the last couple of years, could have had him around for another seven years. And maybe the guy does play until he's like 48. Might have been the right move. Maybe he needed to bend a little bit. Yeah, I think you uh, you need to get a little closer look at the Mac attack. You, you need to know what's coming for New England. What if he's got his quarterback for the next 20 the, years? The Mac attack. He doesn't Mac. have his quarterback for the next 20 years. For, 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 uh, for Mac Zemillion Jones. Oh, my God. Uh, I'm not going to pass judgment on Mac Jones. This early, I think he's been okay, but clearly they're they have the the shackles on him. They're not letting him throw a whole lot downfield. So, and it's early, it's early. We'll see if Mac Jones turns out, but I don't know, dude. Mac Jones is going to be really good, really quick to make up for the loss of Tom Brady. Even if Brady only plays another year, clearly Brady had three more years of prime football, or at least to, to this point, two more years of prime football. So. I wish I wish I, I wish I was really around the situation to know how kooky this Guerrero guy is. Look, man, I mean, what I mentioned, the whole Supreme Greens thing, is just one angle on Guerrero. Like th- they've been reprimanded by the authorities for some of the claims they've made around the TB12 stuff. Like th- this dude is bad news any way you slice it, and I'm just I'm so tired of what is already building up as the Brady hype train around this game because we heard from his dad this week, right? We heard from dad saying that the relationship had fallen apart with Belichick and that it was Belichick's fault. So we're going to start building this narrative like weeks in advance of the game as though it's not going to be insufferable enough having <laughs> to listen to everything building up to this game. Now we got to hear from Tom Brady's dad and Supreme Green's Doc Alejandro. Cut it out. Uh, going to the Raiders game this weekend, or not going, the best place to hang out after the game is our post-game party at Crazy Horse 3 Gentlemen's Club right across the street from Allegiant on Russell. Again, right across the street from the stadium. Pretty unique right around the National Football League. Closest place to park and party uh, near the stadium. It's Crazy Horse 3. We're going to be there from 4 to 7, watching Sunday night football, watching the end of all the uh, 1 o'clock games and uh, partying after what, I would like to see, you know, a good atmosphere. Uh, a Raiders win against the Dolphins. Drink specials, giveaways, hundreds of beautiful women. It's Crazy Horse 3 this Sunday, post-game. The party kicks off at 4 o'clock. Dustin DeHart of Nova Home Loans brings you the football frenzy. Dial 702-577-2600 now. Home prices have never been higher, and interest rates have never been lower. Get your mortgage tune-up today by calling 577-2600. Hanging at the William Hill Sportsbook inside Silver 7s, it's Cofield and Company. 
Silver 7s on a Thursday. It's our college football preview spot. we got a lot to look back on and look forward to with some of the uh, numbers this week. Michael Felder Stadium at In the Bleachers on Twitter. All right, give me your general takeaway on both sides from Alabama, Florida. I think that Florida's a dangerous team. Imagine if they would have had Anthony Richardson playing in that football game, right? Like they would have been even more dangerous, which maybe that danger makes up two points or, or three points that would have, would have taken to get the win. And the other part of it is, is Alabama's explosive, but I do have one question and it's kind of got two parts. Is Alabama's running back room good? And that's the question that I have. I think Jason McClellan can make some plays. Obviously, we see uh, Brian, what, Robinson? Like, we see what he's able to do. He's a good back. He's fine. I think fine is, in, in, in Alabama terms, he's fine. He's a starter probably anywhere else in the country. But he feels fine. He's okay. He's not Derrick Henry. He's not TJ Yeldon. He's not Najee Harris. He's not Damian Harris. He's not Josh Jacobs. He's not Mark Ingram. He's not this list of guys that we've seen at Alabama. And so I think their offensive line um, is going to dominate for the most part, although Florida did make them look silly a few times by using a little bit of switches and uh, some stunts and, 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 and having two guys down, but three guys coming or three guys down and four guys coming. They were able to manipulate them. It felt very um, Dick LeBeau. From the Steelers. Is that right? Is his name? Yeah. Dick, yeah, LeBeau? D- Dick LeBeau. Yep. Yep. Yeah. It felt very much like that where you don't know where the pressure is coming from to squeeze you. And that confused them a little bit. But I think at the end of the day, Alabama's running game is going to be the thing that I'm watching more going forward. One of the big stories of the week going back to the game and then what's happened uh, in the aftermath was Utah being upset by San Diego State. Exciting game. They were uh, like a nine and a half point favorite and yeah. they didn't cover. They lost outright. Um, so, I had seen rumors right after the game for some reason that Kyle Whittingham could walk away at some point. Then then we see Charlie Brewer actually walk away, the transfer, because he lost his job. Um, and I immediately saw people like, oh, well, that's good. He didn't play enough games, so he can redshirt. He can go somewhere else. Go somewhere else? Really? What do you make of this story? It feels really weird. Um, I don't know, I, I, because I compare it to other parallel situations, right? We saw Brock Purdy get put on the bench at uh, Iowa State in the game against Iowa. We saw uh, – we've seen Florida. We just mentioned them, right? We saw Emory uh, play behind someone for a while, and then obviously Anthony Richardson comes in, and they are trying to figure out a way to split that time. And for me with Brewer, I don't know. Like, what do you, like, what do you want, man? Like, <laughs> right. you want them to – you, you weren't it wasn't working yeah, like it right. wasn't working in this football game that doesn't mean it's not going to work for the rest of the season but it certainly wasn't working then and like I guess at the end of the day and obviously and listen this is not to dump on anybody's dream the dream is to get to the NFL right the dream is to get paid to do this the dream, the dream that's the dream dreams to play and I don't even I never felt like they definitively made a choice on Charlie Brewer be not being the guy it more felt like hey it's not working let's try something different and so you still have an opportunity to get that spot back but it just felt i don't know it felt remarkably hasty and and, and to to draw up a parallel lynn j dixon is also transferring from clemson uh he's there he was their backup running back and he was expected to be the starter this year but they opted for the freshman will shipley and obviously uh the pace kid is another one that's in the mix and at least he gave himself some time and a lot of reps to get it done and see what happens. And I know it's the same amount of games, but Steve, there's a difference between I'm not in the game at all. Like Charlie Brewer was in the game 
for what, two, 2.75% of the games? Lin Jay only had, you know, 12 carries or whatever it was. He wasn't getting in the game. I think there's a huge difference there. But it speaks to quarterback, right? There's only one football. You only get to, like, there's only one guy in the game at a time compared to a running back where you can put two in at a time or rotate them. What's happening with Manny Diaz in Miami? Already rumors swirling. Potential candidates are being reached out to. Yeah, they're not happy. I mean, they got their behinds whooped by Michigan State. And uh, for me and my household, we are a Michigan State family. My wife went there. Her cousin was their starting left tackle a couple seasons ago, Cole Chewins. So we are a Michigan State family. So I was like, I think they can win, but they have to play well. And not only did they win, they won in big fashion. And Manny was not pleased. And neither were a lot of the folks that root for Miami. So I I think at the end of the day, the real issue is that that team, and this is something I think about with coaches all the time. You and I have talked for a long time, right? And one of the things that frustrates me is when the thing that coaches are supposed to be good at, they're also not good at, right? Manny Diaz, he's supposed to be some sort of a defensive guru, defensive-minded guy. And for him to not be able to have their defense right, they were so – they over-pursued. They ate the eye candy up. They, I mean, I mean, they look like um, Augustus Gloop eating up all the – is that his name? Augustus uh, Goop. Close. Is it, is it Goop? I feel like it was Gloop. Gloop? Okay. Well, they anyway, they ate all the candy just like him, and they got stuck in the tube. They All the window dressing and the eye candy that Michigan State gave them, they ate all of it. And that led to over-pursuit. And then next thing you know, Kenneth Walker's just running for 17, 18 yards, and you can't do that. So I think Manny Diaz, I don't know if it's – I need he needs to be more hands-on with their defense or they have to figure out offensive. Oh, and by the way, De'Ara King is hurt. Yep. So what are you going to do now? It's a bit, like they're in a really rough spot. Let's talk about games this week in Chicago. Interesting spot. Should be a Notre Dame crowd, but Wisconsin will travel really well. Wisconsin's a six and a half point favorite against Notre Dame. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't know. Both of these teams have some problems. Obviously, I think I think this game boils down to, and a lot of times we do quarterback versus quarterback, but at the end of the day, this does boil down to that. Whether it's Graham Mertz or um, Jack Cohn. And Jack Cohn obviously has the uh, amplified storyline of having been Wisconsin starter and Mertz took his job and the whole yada, yada, yada. But the reality of it is, is who can make a play down the field? Both of these teams are fine with punting. They like it. Oh, we're going to play a field position game and like get to here, to here, to here, to here. And then it's easier for us to score if we do this. And uh, what is it? Chaz Maluzzi is, is Wisconsin's running back who's really – Come on strong, a guy that maybe Clemson is wishing they had right now in the tank. Um, but the reality of it is, is that it's going to be one of two things. One of these quarterbacks is going to make a play down the field or two plays down the field that leads to getting into the red zone or an actual touchdown. Or one of these two quarterbacks is going to make a pl- try to make a play and then they're going to end up giving the ball to the other team. And I think that's the big part of this that we have to focus on. Both of them have really good run defenses. Both of them have a limited passing game. Both of them – Wisconsin is good up front. Notre Dame is trying to be good up front, but they're still not that good in terms of rushing yards, in terms of running the football and dictating uh, what they can do on the ground. But neither one of these two teams – like 
what receiver are you scared of in this football game? Right, right. It's like I think about it, and and the reality is, is Kevin Austin and Avery Davis are receiver number, our pass catcher number three and four for Notre Dame, behind a tight end and two running backs. I got to get your take on this one. You you played, so you know about motivation week to week. I I find the Missouri-Boston College game a bizarro spot for Missouri. Yeah. Did you you hear Drinkwitz talk about this? I did. You rarely hear a coach, you know, like basically shred the uh, previous schedule makers. Yeah. Drinkwitz, for those that don't know, Drinkwitz said, yeah, it's great and Boston College is a good school and we're excited to play this football game, but – (laughs) <laughs> wouldn't we rather just play wouldn't we rather play some sort of like a you know regional rival for this game instead of going to BC to play this football team like wouldn't we rather play a regional rival and I hey, listen he he laid it bare and that makes sense and the reality of this game is going to be this, this is going to be a hard football game uh two teams that play um they they're they're shrouded in this not to lose mentality. Obviously, for BC, they've done a good job early in the year. They haven't really played anybody yet. I think this is their first real test. And for BC, I think the goal is going to be what's I mean, run the ball, play defense. And then for Mizzou, what's the goal? Run the ball, play defense. And we'll see what we get out of both quarterbacks. But I think at the at the end of the day, this is one of those games where you know that neither team really wants to play it, but you have to. And if you have to go out there, you better give it your best shot. I think we got a real dangerous spot in the Pac-12. Michael Felder's with us at In the Bleachers Stadium, college football expert. Southern Cal against USC. USC right now has questions with both of the quarterbacks, Dart and with Slovis. Very emotional win, comeback win against Washington State. Oregon State is freaking plucky, man. They're tough, and they're getting double digits here. Yeah, I, I was very impressed with what I saw out of USC. Um, their ability to kind of punch back was really impressive. And, and, and the way that they were able to kind of battle, <coughs> excuse me, the way they were able to battle themselves back into position. And I mean, I was like, oh, this team quit. In the first seven minutes of that football game, I was like, oh, they're done. It's over. Because they were down, what, 14 to nothing or 14-6 in the, at the early part of the Washington State game. And then they just rattled off points and seemed inspired. So, We'll see what we get out of Dart. It's going to be interesting. But for me, Oregon State also, as you mentioned, they're plucky, right? They fight. And I don't know. I like. I still think they should have beat Purdue. I thought they had a bunch of missed opportunities in that Purdue game. If they can find a way to run the ball consistently, they're going to stick around in this ball game, which means they're going to be really annoying for USC fans. Michael Felder is on Cofield and Company here. On a Thursday, uh, I mean, this is a, a break game, uh, so I don't think – well, the number is actually interesting. Ohio State's 49 against Akron. Are you seriously worried about Ohio State and their defense? Yeah, they're not good. <laughs> yeah. Like, do you, you think they're good? No, they've been terrible so far, and obviously they – I mean, when you fire a D.C. or demote a D.C., that's pretty serious stuff three games into the season. Right, and well, I guess in the problem for me – I'd love to hear it because listening to Ryan Day talk about it, he's like, well, we got to call better plays on defense. And I'm like, you think you you think the play calls are the problem? <laughs> That's not the problem. Every play call, for people that don't know this, almost every play in football is designed to at least pick up a first down from an offensive standpoint. Uh, most of them are designed to be touchdowns. 
defensively, every play is designed to be stopped at the line of scrimmage or to get a sack. That's what they're designed to do. So the play call it does is is inconsequential. What you have to do is execute that play call. And sometimes you, you pick the wrong play call against, you know, specific slants or from a defensive standpoint against like a screen or something, you have a, a fire blitz and they get the screen on you. But the reality is every play is designed to be successful. The problem is they don't know who their linebackers are and they do not have a premier pass rusher. I like Haskell Garrett from the interior. He is very good. I think Teron Vincent, I expected more from Teron Vincent to be quite honest when he got to college uh, because he was so polished in high school, but I, he just hasn't materialized as a player consistently. I don't care what they do with Coombs. I don't care what plays they call the reality. Like, who cares what plays you call when you had Joey Bosa, Nick Bosa, or Chase Young? <laughs> Nobody cared what plays yeah. they were calling. Yeah. And that's the deficiency in this defense. They were able to mask things by having – oh, and by the way, they also had, what is it, Arnett, and you throw in a guy like a Bradley Roby, and – oh, we have Malik Harrison, and we have all these other guys that can just make plays for us. Well, guess what? Josh Proctor's hurt. He's got like four different injuries. Um, Bryson Shaw is one of the slowest safeties in America, but he's the guy that you have to put in the game because you don't have anybody else that even knows what the defense is. And they don't have the pieces to get it done. You got a couple freshmen playing at the cornerback spot. So, yes, I'm, I'm quite concerned about what they bring to the table. Same theme with Clemson, but it might be on offense. Ten and a half yeah. this week. I mean, they had they had a hell of a time last week as a four touchdown favorite against G Tech this week at NC State. Yeah, for me, I, Clemson. I've I've talked about this a couple of times. I've talked about it on the Power Hour. I've talked about it on a couple other shows. Um, for Clemson, there are symptoms of a disease, and so the, let's go through the symptoms first, Steve. Like, right? They don't throw the ball down the field. We're used to Clemson, whether it's Mike Williams, Sammy Watkins, Nuke Hopkins, all these guys, were T, uh, T. Higgins. We're used to them throwing the ball down the field, right? 25-yard passes where they're just eating up chunk yardage. Even with guys like, um, what, Ray Ray Davis, like any of these guys, we're used to them eating up that yardage down the field, and they can't do that this year. Why? Okay, they're, we're used to them ripping off these big runs. They can't do that this year. Why? We're used to their quarterback being a factor in the run game. They can't do that this year. Why? Well, the disease that those are all symptoms, and the disease is the offensive line. I don't know how you solve it. I don't know how you cure their offensive line. Matt Bockhorst is not a good center. He is a very good guard, above average in a uh, above average college football guard, but he's not a good center. He doesn't have the ability to snap the ball and control the the line of scrimmage. You look at the safety play, um, and you'll see the offensive linemen. You'll see they have they start the play with their heels, maybe half a foot in front of the goal line, and then they the play goes on. You see their entire, their, both of their feet are inside of the end zone, and that's how you don't. That's that's the best way to not control the line of scrimmage is when they move the line of scrimmage a little bit backwards, which leads to. The run game not working also leads to not being able to throw the ball down the field. If you can't throw the ball down the field and you can't stretch the field, Georgia Tech multiple times had nine guys within nine yards of the line of scrimmage. And if you have nine guys within the the line of scrimmage, 
they know that you're running or they know that you're only going to throw short passes. They only threw the ball over 20 yards twice against Georgia Tech. Against Georgia Tech. Nobody thinks Georgia Tech is any good. But they only threw the ball down the field twice because they don't trust their own offensive line to protect DJ Uyangalele long enough for receivers to get down the field. And so, again, these are all symptoms, and the disease is the offensive line. I just don't know how you cure it. Uh, Last two minutes here. Real quick hits on first, improved Rutgers, but – are they good enough to hang with Michigan? Michigan is now laying 21. I'm very curious. Like, everybody is talking about Michigan's run game and see they fixed it and they solved something, but eh, we'll see. <laughs> I, like I agree. The, I agree. Like, the, Michigan has four games on their schedule where they're not the best football team, like the most physical, right? They've got Wisconsin, Michigan State, Ohio State, and Penn State. Those are four games – and you can do whatever you want in those other games, but if those four games, if you can't throw the ball down the field, and that's what we were talking about with Clemson, right? Clemson can't challenge you down the field because their offensive line can't protect. For Michigan, if you don't have the ability to push the ball down the field and you're not going to commit to pushing the ball down the field, then everyone's just going to stop the run. And Blake Cor- and, and Corm, is he's a good running back, but at the end of the day, if he's got nine guys – up in the up in his grill, it's not going to work well. So for me, I think that Rutgers, the goal for them is going to be make them throw the football. Right. Make make Cade McNamara beat you. Do not lose. Sell out on the run. Sell out on run. I don't care. Play cover zero and sell out on run. And you know what? If they can hit the guy over the top, hit the guy over the top. But make them prove that they can do that one or two times before you change what you're doing. From a betting standpoint, Sam Pittman's been a freaking revelation in Arkansas. He's ten and three against the spread in his yep. short uh, head coaching career. Getting five here against Texas A and M. I think they might win straight up. I'm I'm talking myself into it. I um, look Calzada is good. He's fine as a quarterback, but Arkansas and the way they play zone and the way their defense is built from the inside out and uh, the idea that they with Ridgeway in the middle. And then you get to bumper pull and you get to Hayden Henry and you get those guys at the linebacker spot, seeing the gap, shooting it as the running back tries to get to it and making those tackles downhill. And then in the back end, you got Catalan making plays. I, Arkansas is a team that fits into the Iowa, Wisconsin, Virginia, shoot, TCU. They fit into that. You know what I'm talking about? Teams that don't lose games, teams that you have to beat. And I think that's a a, a great space to live. Like, they don't think they're going to beat Alabama, but guess what? A&M, Auburn, LSU, if you make enough mistakes, we got your ass. Hey, in closing, mention uh, what you did on the podcast with Connor J. Rogers. Oh, man, my guy Connor Rogers from Bleacher Report, Connor J. Rogers on Twitter, we um so this, the the idea of the show it's called Tape Don't Lie, uh, you can find it on anywhere you find podcasts. Tape Don't Lie the podcast, but the goal of the show is to build a smarter football fan, and we got to talk to one of my guys who like he started out as just a football fan and grew himself into being Bleach Report's lead uh, NFL draft analyst, and it was really cool to kind of talk about his journey and talk about what he looks for in games, and it was nice to also just talk to an old coworker, you know, from back in the day. Mike, great job, man. Enjoy the weekend. 
Thank you so much, man. You take it easy. Michael Felder from Stadium. You can find him on Twitter at In the Bleachers. Great slate of games on Saturday. Don't forget about Sunday. We got the Raiders game in town against the Dolphins. After the game, the Cofield and Company crew will be hosting a post game party right across the street from the stadium. Crazy Horse 3 is the location. Awesome food menu, great drink specials. All the ladies of Crazy Horse 3. It starts off at 4 o'clock, 4 until 7. I'll be hanging out with you guys, the listeners of ESPN Las Vegas, at Crazy Horse 3 on Russell, right across the street from the stadium. Make sure you come out and see us. 77-cent Bud Light bottles? Silver 7's Hotel and Casino has you hooked up. I don't know uh, Urban Meyer at all, really. I met him the other day, you know, shook his hand before the game and after the game. And, and his comment to me was every week it's like playing Alabama in the NFL, you know. That's it. Everybody's capable of beating everybody in this league. Now, back to the William Hill Sportsbook Inside Silver Sevens with Cofield and Company. Riding high. Spilling the beans, giving out secrets. Broncos coach Vic Fangio. Hey, Vic, I'm guessing Herb didn't want that to go public, but uh, it did. Uh, Speaking of Herb, uh, it looks like He's a very, very, very long shot, but I won't close the door on him going to USC after a year. I just saw a, yeah, a couple of rumors out there as I was checking on the quarterback status for USC. They still haven't mentioned, Dante Williams still hasn't mentioned if it's going to be Jackson Dart or Keaton Slovis this weekend, but I, I saw some talk on the coaching opening. Yeah, Eric Bieniemy's in the conversation obviously you know some other big names out there candy but one of the sleepers and i've seen this multiple times now um what do you think about kalani sataki i mean there's a ceiling right there's absolutely a ceiling on what you can do at BYU. So the question for him is, what is the ambition, right? I don't know that I want to be the next guy into USC if I'm anywhere at a mid to high major where I have a chance to really show out. And that's what BYU did last year. Um, And it's been better than expected this year. So if I'm Kalani Sataki, I think I can actually be pretty selective with where I go next. Uh, but the USC situation, I don't know, man. That that Viper pit still appears to have way too many fangs out for someone who has the cachet of Sataki. So there was a story in The Athletic about some of the stuff that's been happening or had happened at USC. So fill the audience in. Man, oh, man. You want to talk about an indictment. You want to talk about a story that lays bare everything you've probably thought about USC but didn't really know. Uh, Bruce Feldman in The Athletic has a story where he talked to probably at least a dozen folks who either had coached for the program under Clay Helton or who generally had been around it, parents of recruits, um, other people who have intimate knowledge of the program who basically said – that Clay Helton's tenure was as much of a disaster internally as it appeared <laughs> externally. Yeah. Um, that the recruiting, most importantly, fell off a cliff. That you had essentially Pete Carroll, 
handing it off to Lane Kiffin into Orgeron. Like there had been this pipeline built, especially in Southern California, of getting all the best talent going to USC. And I mean, some of these quotes, I'm only cherry picking a handful of them here, Cofield. My God. Uh, here's one that came from one person close to the program. Said one former recruiting staffer, coaches on the 2018 and 2019 staffs didn't recruit, didn't care. No leadership. Acted like it was a country club to hang out rather than compete. It was 1,000% laziness. Okay. And that is just a little sampling of what's been said about the tenure of Clay Helton, that his coordinators had no interest in recruiting, and that you can see the results now for USC that, you know, how about this? How about this? Before you jump in on this one, how about this? How about... The coaches at USC, not that they're alone in this, but especially the coaches at USC, recruiting guys who are maybe fringy three stars, maybe close to four stars, but not wanting to bring them in at that level and calling the guys at the recruiting services and saying, hey, before I sign this guy, I'm going to need you to bump up his rating a little bit for me. Oh, no. Cool. So those guys that you think are four and five stars are really more like three and four stars, and USC is going out there and recruiting on the rankings versus recruiting to fit. And, you know, if they say Alabama is recruiting to fit, that's cool. Um, When they tell you that UCLA is beating you by recruiting to fit, that's a much bigger problem because it hasn't exactly been all peaches and cream around Chip Kelly's program. You know, we'll build on this on the way back because Mark McMillan's a Southern California guy. You know, made it to the NFL via Alabama. Uh, wound up playing with the Eagles and the Chiefs and and several other teams. And and Mark can tell a story because we've also talked to some of Mark's fellow Southern California uh, prospects from you know back in the uh, late '80s and and early '90s. And and back then USC was screwing things up. And boy, this last year you can see it. I mean, the recruiting has dropped off. And hell. They have good quarterbacks, but frankly, how do you let Bryce Young and DJ Uelungalele get out of the area when they're right in your freaking backyard? Join the conversation on Twitter at Cofield and Co. Tua is, he'll be out this week. He has fractured ribs, so obviously he's in a lot of pain. Uh, so he'll be out this week. Uh, Jacoby will start. Um, and we're just going to take it week to week, really, you know, let's call it day to day. Brissett can extend plays. So we got a lot of respect for him. We've played against him in the past. He's a dual threat capable of doing a lot of different things. Hanging at the William Hill Sportsbook inside Silver Sevens, it's Cofield and Company. Jacoby Brissett. Chatter there from Gruden and Brian Flores. Brissett will be in the eye of the storm. We'll get to the Raiders here in a couple of minutes, but one of our football insiders, Mark McMillan, played in the NFL, played at Alabama. He joins... Adam Candy, Steve Cofield here on this Thursday. Mark, how you doing, buddy? I'm I'm doing good, man. Uh, we're off and rolling. Um, week what, week three, a lot of a lot of surprises of late, but you know we, we, this is why they call it the this is why they call it the week to week league. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Uh, let's go to college football first before we get to the NFL. Uh, Candy oh, and I were talking. Candy and I were just talking about the USC job, and there's a story out today about Clay Helton and just how uh, disorganized and lazy the staff was at times in recruiting Southern California. Um, you went through this kind of stuff, and I don't know if it was laziness when you were in SoCal and, you know, that's where you grew up, and USC was botching their recruiting at times. I think they had a talent evaluation issue, right? We talked about this in the past, that they had a certain type of cornerback they were looking for, and they let a right. lot of smaller cornerbacks just skate out of town. 
Yeah, um, and, and you're seeing it now, uh, especially with the quarterback position. Uh, three of the top quarterbacks uh, that you were watching on Saturdays, one at Georgia, uh, one at Alabama, uh, and one at Clemson. All those guys are right there in their backyard from Bosco and Notre Day. And, you know, you let those three guys get away, and uh, you, you see USC has been struggling at the quarterback position for a long time. Uh, guys are transferring out. Uh, they can't get the blue-chip guy to lead the, lead the team. Um, USC, when you say USC back in California, man, it doesn't ring uh, too many bells anymore for, for the local kids. And that's why you see kids going to the SEC or the ACC um, and even some of the kids going to the Mountain West Conference. Mark, when you were at Glendale, what was the reputation of SC? Like, what would kids coming up at your time have thought about the Trojans? Oh, we loved it. Uh, you know, that was that was my dream school, you know, to go to USC. I grew up five minutes down the street uh, from the Coliseum. Um, I used to go watch Ronnie Lott, Charles White, uh, Junior Seau, Rodney Pete, and all those guys practice through the peephole of the gate, you know, at, at USC. And, you know, I just knew uh, once I started getting recruited, I just knew that they were going to, uh, you know, offer me a scholarship early. Um, they had uh, Chris Hale, who we had on the show, Steve, last year, yep, and he yep. kind of broke it down as well. Um, about, you know, they just didn't want me to come in and they just didn't want that smaller guy and, you know, bit him in the tail. Mark McMillan's with us. All right, Mark. Uh, I'm not saying Alabama's going to fold here, but I, I did see <laughs> some weaknesses. I, I They got to shore up the defense, and I do believe yep. there are some chances for some SEC, SEC teams to knock them off, including Ole Miss in a couple of weeks. Like, their defense is, is going to have to be really good against Lane Kiffin and uh, Matt Corral. Um, it, they definitely have some weaknesses, um, you know, and I know Alabama fans, you know, they got all up and roar. You know, we beat Miami, but Miami's not a very good team. Um, but if you go inside the swamp and you pull out a victory, I don't care how many how many points you win by, that's a tough place to play. You know, I'm 0-2 uh, in the swamp, but, you know, the defense gave up some really big uh, pass plays, uh, really big uh, run plays, which, you know, we thought that we thought they had uh, things covered up. You know, coming in this season, the defense is supposed to be the backbone of our team. And, you know, there's going to be some tough games. You know, you still got to play Texas A&M. Uh, you still got to play, like you say, Lane Kiffin, who's going to throw the ball all over the yard. Uh, then, you know, if you make it to the SEC championship game, you're going to have to see Georgia. So, by any means, we're not going to run through that division. It's going to be real tough. Auburn's always tough, too. So, the SEC is a gauntlet, man. So, welcome, Texas, and welcome, Oklahoma, in a few years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no doubt, and uh, it, it's not just heating up for for Alabama, uh, of course, Mark. Uh, it's heating up this week for your Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, Woo! Is Dallas the biggest rival? <laughs> Do I have that right? Um, I would say Dallas is a really big rival, but for us, the Giants was always our biggest rival. Um, you know, mm. it's right down the road, down the, time, the turnpike. Uh, but, you know, you always get up for Dallas, but it was something about when we played the Giants, we just really didn't like those guys, and it was it was personal. But the Cowboys was personal, too. So, you know, we didn't look good last week in San Francisco. I got a chance to uh, go to the game and see it live, uh, see how the offense looked in person. Um, you know, there was a lot of throws that Jalen left out there on the table, um, throws he should be making. Um, he's looking downfield at Devontae Smith uh, way too much, in my opinion. Um, the defense, you know, we lost uh, – we lost Brandon Graham for the year with Achilles tendon, so it's going to be tough. The Cowboys can run the ball. They showed they took their show on the road down there to uh, California last week. Yeah, I'm curious your impressions having seen that Eagles team up close because I think a lot of folks from the beginning of the year thought it would be 
a team that finished uh, at or near the bottom of the NFC East. And I think what we've seen through a couple of weeks is that the NFC East is wide open this year. I don't think there's anyone yeah. who is clearly better than anyone else. Um, I, I think it's been like that for the last couple of years. And, you know, uh, Washington, you look, they struggled. They barely beat the Giants. Uh, you know, so the Cowboys, you know, they took their show on the road. Uh, they can run the ball really well. Uh, they should, you know, uh, should be – they should win the division, in my opinion. It depends on what the quarterback situation is uh, in Washington. Uh, obviously, the Eagles have a really young team as far as the offensive side of the ball. But, like I said, anybody can get hot at any given moment. But uh, it's going to take a, a team effort for the Eagles uh, on both ends, you know, sides of the ball, on offense and defense. And the coach really got a, hit, a handful last week. You know, I was there Monday, and, boy, those radio stations was ripping him a new one. Of course. Of course, that's the way it is. That's the way it is. Uh, it's a love. It's a love fest right right now in Vegas with the Raiders. Uh, tell me what you like most about the Raiders. Is it you know Derek Carr reaching that next level? Is it the new look defense? What is it? Um, I just think it's a whole uh, whole team effort. You know, they seem like they're they're having fun. Uh, the defensive scheme is working. They're getting after the uh, getting after the quarterback, and that was something that they were missing the last couple of years. We've talked about that on the air. They haven't found that guy that can get after the pass rusher. And whatever Max Crosby uh, found that fountain of youth, uh, you know, got himself, uh, you know, in a great headspace. Uh, right now he's my MVP on the defense side of the ball. He's causing havoc in the backfield. Carr uh, is just managing the game, uh, not making bad mistakes or bad decisions. Uh, you know, they utilize rugs finally, you know, to, to take the top off the defense. But, you know, when you have Darren Waller, man, I, I just keep talking about this guy every week. He's one of the best tight ends in the game, and when you have that weapon as a, as a quarterback, it makes his job that much easier. So the Raiders are looking good on the defensive side of the ball, man, which, which was going to be their Achilles heel. But like I say, Max Crosby is playing out of his mind, and if he can continue that for the next, what, 14, 15 weeks, the Raiders should be in good position to, uh, you know, go for the division title. You know, the Broncos are looking good. Obviously, the Chiefs is going to be there as well. Mighty Mac is with us. Um... Mark, are you still doing some food themes each weekend when you're around a football game, especially when you're in town with the Raiders? I saw MC Hammer talking a little trash that, uh, first of all, the Raiders better the Raiders better be ready to go because the Dolphins are a playoff-caliber team. I'm not sure about that. But then he didn't specify, but he said, I'm ordering seafood uh, for you, the Dolphins. I don't think he's eating Dolphin. I hope he's not doing that. Um, yeah, yeah. Are you going to cook something up in honor of the Dolphins, or what are you doing? Uh, you know, I guess, you know, with, with Dolphins, I guess you can go with some sushi. You know, I do have a sushi kit that I developed uh, during COVID, so I can make some sushi at, at, at any given time. So it'll be interesting to see if MC Hammer can break out those old parachute pants and do some grilling on the uh, during the game. So, you know, I go back and forth with MC Hammer. Man, he's a good friend of mine. Uh, you know, so it'll be interesting to see. Like I said, I know Max Crosby, man, he's he, he been on it as well. He, he said he's going to have some tuna, so it'll be exciting. Uh, you know, Tua is going to be out this week, so I, I see the Raiders uh, pulling out another victory. What do you got cooking? Are you doing more of the uh, the teppanyaki, the, the stir-fry? Oh, well, you, you see my t- tweet now called myself Benny McMillan. You know, I'm just a little right. spin-off of it. I had a little sure, stir-fry the other day. I had a little stir-fry I tweeted out the other day. I sent out a little sample of my smoked ribs that I did today on my custom Eagles cutting board. So I'm telling you, man, I'm tailgate ready. Whenever we Whenever we get this thing ramped up, Let's go to the parking lot. I'll set up the grill. We can get the crowd fired up. Nice. Nice. When's the next road trip coming up? Um, I'll be going back to Philadelphia uh, for the Chiefs game. 
Um, uh, they invited me back, so I'll go back and do an uh, autograph session for that. I'm excited about that. I get a chance to take my family back. My son, I know he likes, uh, he likes the attention. You know, he likes to feel, feel like he's uh, Big Mac and I'm Little Mac. So it'll be pretty interesting to see uh, Kansas City in person. Um, I'm excited to see Kansas City in person as well as my Eagles. So I'm looking forward to going back to Philadelphia, man. The love that they showed me last week was, was incredible. Mark, you're awesome, man. We appreciate it. We'll talk to you. I right, appreciate you guys. There he is, Mark McMillan, Vegas local now, former Eagle, former Chief. Good career in the National Football League after a good career at Alabama. All right, we're down here at Silver Sevens. Thursday Night Football is on the way. It's the Panthers and Texans. In the middle of the next hour, we'll get to some notes and injury notes from that game. But coming up, we got the Big Five at four, and we'll see if uh, Candy's ready to jump on board the Raiders train. What are we looking at here, Candy? Five and one, six and zero oh start. Watch the game at the William Hill Sportsbook inside Silver 7s and grab your 77-cent Bud Light bottles. 